We're in a series called The Prayers of the Righteous. The Prayers of the Righteous. We've been talking about prayer and how the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man or woman avail much because we are praying mighty prayers to a mighty God who hears us, who knows what we have need of before we ask. And so we're just talking about prayer. So this morning we'll look at Luke chapter 11. And I'll start at verse 1. And the Bible says, Now it came to pass, <clears throat> as he was praying in a certain place. Stop right there. Jesus made it a habit to pray. He made it a habit to get away from the crowds on a regular basis and spend time alone with his father. Because that's what prayer ultimately is, is getting alone with God, talking to God, and listening to God talk to you as he talks to your heart, talks to your spirit through the word of God. It's relationship, it's communication, it's intimacy. Uh, Jesus would do this regularly. So if the son of God found it important enough to get away and pray, we need to have time where we get away and pray. The Bible says he went to a certain place. When it came time to arrest Jesus, as you recall, Judas knew exactly where he would be. The Garden of Gethsemane was just one of those certain places that Jesus would get away and spend time with his father. So when Judas was looking with the temple guard to find Jesus and arrest him, they knew exactly where he would be. He would be praying in a certain place. Can we find you praying in a certain place? Do you have an altar in your home? Not, I'm not talking about a stone altar. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking symbolically a favorite chair where you meet them, a favorite kitchen table area, out on the backyard looking out at nature. Where do you go on a regular basis to spend time with God in prayer? If you don't have that place, now's the time to get that place. So the Bible says Jesus was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus said to the disciples in verse two, when you pray, so that's entitled this message, what Jesus just used. When you pray. Let's pray. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Because just like the disciples, there is still so much for us to learn about prayer. As simple as it is, it's very profound. 
And we also know it's very challenging because the spirit is willing, but the flesh has a lot of excuses. The flesh is weak. But Lord, there's nothing like being in your presence. There's nothing like casting our cares on you. There's nothing like listening to you whisper your will to us. There's nothing like communing with you and hearing your heartbeat. I pray, Lord, that as I speak about prayer, about what your son taught us, that you would teach us. Help me to stay in line with scripture and help your people to have ears to hear because, Lord, this is so important for all of us. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. What I just read to you in a similar text is found in Matthew's gospel. What I just read to you is not the Lord's prayer. Some people call it the Lord's prayer. But it's not the Lord's prayer because Jesus didn't have to pray a prayer like this. He didn't have to ask the Lord, his father, to forgive him of his sins. So this is not the Lord's prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. This is our prayer. If we want to know how Jesus prayed, we can run over to John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer where he is crying out to his father that his church, although very different, would still find the ability through him to be one. He was praying for unity. If we go through the scriptures, Jesus prayed for so many different people and different reasons, but one thing he didn't pray was what has been called here the Lord's Prayer. This is our prayer. We need this prayer. And this prayer is not to be used as a memorized mantra or as a rote recitation before a mundane football game. Sometimes this is what people say. They chant, they quote, before going out to play football or any sport. They'll begin quoting and chanting this prayer. And for the church, it is not meant to be a religious formula. It's not meant to be step one, two, three, four on how to have a, a, a sound prayer life. And we just try to follow these rules rigidly. No, that, that, that's not where we're going with this. And some of us, because of backgrounds we come out of, we mimic this so much that if we happen to be King James readers of Scripture, when we talk to God, we talk to him reciting these words in Elizabethan language as if that brings us closer to God and makes us more holy because we say thee and thou. I'm not sure that was the way Jesus said it to the brothers when he said it. But we know that the King James is a solid translation, a great translation. And many of us have cut our teeth with the King James, but we don't have to speak to God in King James language for God to understand or think that we're serious. God hears the prayers of a broken and contrite spirit, no matter the language, because prayer is supposed to be a simple thing. And this prayer that Jesus gives to the disciples is meant to be a model. It's meant to be a guide. Again, it's not meant to be a formula. It's just a model 
for them to pray. And the model is so simple that he covers it in what we would call three or four verses. So in three verses, he teaches his disciples, this is how you should pray. Whereas many of us read books and volumes on prayer, and we should, written by great men and women. But if we break it on down, it's a simple exchange. Simple yet powerful. And I'm afraid some people don't want to pray because they think, oh, I can't talk like that. I'm not that deep. Or as one person was praying, a little girl was praying one day. And she was talking to God and she was so carefree and she even got so comfortable with God, she started giving him the alphabet. And she said, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And she goes through the alphabet. And some old deacon next to her said, Honey, that's not how you're supposed to pray. You're supposed to bow your head and, and ask God to fill your mouth with a word and talk to him. And the little girl with childlike faith responded back to that old deacon and said, excuse me, deacon, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to him. Prayer should be that simple. Jesus would tell the disciples, now, when you pray, don't pray like this. Trying to use big words to impress people. As if you can impress God with your limited, finite vocabulary. You got to put on special robes and clothes and and stand in certain places. Jesus said, let the Pharisees do that. When you pray, as a matter of fact, you can even go in your closet where people don't even see you or hear you. He sees you and he hears you. So let's stop all the theatrics, all of the performance. This is about your heart to God's heart. And when you don't know what words to say, He even has a remedy for that. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The spirit takes our infirmities, those weaknesses, those moans, those groans, the things we can't even voice. He interprets them to God for us. Blessed are those who mourn and even those who moan. Prayer, talking and listening to God. Jesus kept it simple. And there are two basic premises to what he lays out here in these four verses. The first premise not rule. The first premise or principle is this. Acknowledge God when you pray. Man, that's simple, but yet it's deep. The second premise is acknowledge your needs when you pray. That's it. Acknowledge God when you pray and acknowledge your needs when you pray. That's what Jesus laid out to the guys and that's what he's saying to us today. Because when we break this down, this prayer is laid out in a similar fashion to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the first four commandments, as you might recall, speak of one's relationship with God. And the second six commandments speak about our relationship to one another. And so God breaks it down in this prayer where we're to focus on God for the first half. And then the second half to deal with ourselves and others. And this is also similar to how the great commandment is, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second is like an unto it, you shall love your neighbor. 
So this prayer, Jesus breaks down these two premises off of those principles of the Ten Commandments and the Great Commandment. God first, others second. Now, I got to say off the bat, usually when we pray, we jump right in with what we need. We jump right in with what we want. We jump right in telling God what's going on and how we need him in our life. And that's good. That has its place. But we're here to grow up. And, and, and the way we grow up is to look at what Jesus gave these guys because he's given us the same thing. Yeah, let's talk about what we need. He already knows what we have need of before we ask, but he enjoys the interaction with us because sometimes we wouldn't pray if we didn't have a need. So God says, but, but before we get to them needs, I just want you to talk to me and give me glory for who I am. And that's why Jesus is going to lay this out. He starts off with our father in heaven and not give us this day our daily bread. So if some of us can grow, I know I need to grow. I know I need to learn how to pray more and not just jump right in because I don't like it when my kids do that. When I've been away for a while and I come back from somewhere and they want to know what's in my hand for them as opposed to just being happy to see me. If I'm holding the bag, they're running for the bag. What about me? What about me? Every father wants to be loved by his children. God doesn't need our love. He doesn't need anything. But he enjoys when his children love him for him. Oh, and then there are great things in his hand. But oh my, Jesus lays it out for us. So let's look at this first principle. When you pray, acknowledge God. Oh, I want to grow in prayer. I want to grow in prayer. Teach me how to pray, Lord. Here we go. When you pray, acknowledge God. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. In other words, I'm acknowledging your name. You are our Father. Now, God is going to relate to humans in human terms. It's called anthropomorphic language where he breaks down the spiritual so that we can understand it in the natural realm. Because no title is sufficient for the eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God. But in order for us, we are limited people, to get an understanding of who he is, he will relate to us using human terms, like father. But some of us, when we hear that, we think about our earthly father, and that can be a bridge to us relating to our heavenly father. And God knew all of that, and he addresses that even in the Gospels. When he says, if your earthly fathers knew how to give you bread, and if your earthly fathers knew how to give you fish, how much more your heavenly father, because your fathers are evil, if they know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his children? Because some of us did have fathers who didn't give us fish, they gave us a snake. They didn't give us bread, they gave us a stone. And Jesus says, look beyond the earthly father and see your heavenly father. And if you didn't have a father, he says in the Old Testament, I'll be a father to the fathers. So I'm trying to relate to you on this term of father, pater in the Greek. And this term was not typically used in the Old Testament. When the Jews spoke of God, there was such a reverence for his name that they would hardly ever say his name. So rather than saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai, or they would use the more common term for God, Elohim. And if they were writing the scriptures, recording the scriptures, or copying the scriptures, when they came across Yahweh, 
they would go out of the room, wash themselves, come back in, or put down the quill they were using and pick up another one because they so revered the name of Yahweh. So in order to continue writing the text, they would use the words Adonai, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, and God, G-O-D. But there was this reference for the name of God. And so Father, they didn't really use that term, but the prophets every now and then would refer to God as Father. But when Jesus came along, he began talking about his father in such familiar terms that the Jews thought he was committing blasphemy. Because he would not only say our father, he would say my father. And the Jews heard that to say, wait a minute now, if you're saying that God is your father and you are his son, you are saying you are of the same essence as God. No, 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 we don't, we don't do that around here. We don't use language like that. But Jesus said, my father is working and so am I. So this term is a term of endearment and intimacy and family. And Jesus even said to one group of Pharisees, he says, I know who your father is. My father is not your father. Your father is Satan, John 8, 44 because he was a murderer from the beginning. Y'all are trying to kill me, you acting just like your daddy. But Jesus, out of his great love for us, said, look, this is what I'm gonna do. Because when we're born into this world, we're born as sinners and we're born separated and cut off from relationship with God. And by process of elimination, Satan is our father. But there, because we're sinners. But there's this transference plan uh, that grace allows, where we can move from one kingdom into another kingdom. We can go from one father and be adopted by the father. But it comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to earth and he says, this is what I'm going to do. I will die for you so that my father becomes your father. And my spirit will enter into you and you will now know God so personally, you can say, Abba father or daddy. You could talk to him on even more personal terms than just the formal term of father. You could call him daddy. So what I'm going to do is when I die on the cross, I'm going to make my father your father, which means that when we pray, we can now say our father. Because we are the redeemed of God. We've been adopted by God. He is our father. He is no longer our judge. He is our father. And as such, he has the right to discipline his children. Because we think, oh, he's my father now. He's a good, good father. Yes, he is. And he's a good enough father to spank. He spanks because he loves. So Jesus says, when we begin praying, look, recognize his name. And this is just one of his many names. But this is a term of endearment. It's our father. And where does he live? in heaven so acknowledge his residence because earth is his footstool he puts his feet on earth and as far as heaven is concerned you've got the first heaven the second heaven and what paul said the third heaven the third heaven is where god quote unquote lives the second heaven, that's the space, you know, and all the galaxies and the universes and all of that. And then the first heavens, that happens to be the firmament, the clouds. God lives, and I, I'm using quotations, in the third heaven. Why am I using quotations? Because the Bible says the highest heavens cannot contain his glory. 
So, so there is no house that can be built that can hold the glory and the awesomeness of God, even if he were to build the house. He can't be contained in one space. He is, I am. And I don't have the brain capacity to even try to explain him. But Jesus wants you to know when you pray, pray our father, the one who loves you, made a way for you, the one who adopted you, he lives in heaven, which means it's good every now and then to lift up your heads to the hills from which comes your help. Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So before you start talking about your needs and what you got to get done and what you need help on, we're talking to the God who not only lives in the heavens and the heavens can't contain him, but he's the one who created the heavens and the earth. Man, I, I got into a worship moment while we were out in the water, man, in Cancun. I, we were out there and my wife saw me. I'm lifting my hands and I'm, I'm just going in. And she on the side don't know whether to try to throw me a life preserver or what, but I'm going in. And I, that song came to me. I can only imagine. And I started singing the word, surrounded by your glory. Because I'm looking at the sky and how beautiful it is. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or no? you, how, how I go back? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you, be still. Will I stand in your presence or to my knees? Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to sing it all? I can only imagine. And I'm looking at the heavens. I'm like, you're an awesome God. You're an amazing God. If you can create the world and hold it all together by your spoken word, you can hold my world together. See, this is why I got to start with God first before I start with my knees first. Because if I start with my knees, I think my needs are greater than God. But if I start with the great God, it puts my needs in perspective. So when I start talking about this stuff, it pales in comparison to the great God who lives in heaven. And the one who says, I can even live there after I pass away down here. So that gives me optimism. Man, my God is in heaven. Then he talks about God having a kingdom. Your kingdom come. Now, in order to have a kingdom, you got to be a king. And kingdom means you are the king over a dominion. And God's dominion is everything, everywhere, everyone. And so everyone, everything, every realm, every sphere, every circumstance must submit itself to the king. That's who I'm talking to. And so I'm saying, Lord, let your kingdom come. You're the ruler. Let your rule come. And in a real way, your rule is coming through the church. Your rule is coming through my life. But Lord, I'm acknowledging you as king. Let your kingdom, your rule come. Because the kingdom is here, but then it's coming. The kingdom is now, but it's also not yet. Because when the king of kings comes back, Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So until that day, may your kingdom come in me. May your kingdom come in my family. May your authority, your rule come in the church that we participate in. We don't make you Lord. We acknowledge that you're Lord. We don't make you king. We bow down and acknowledge your kingship. The psalmist asked the question in Psalm 24, who is the king of glory? The Lord God mighty in battle, he is the king of glory. Isaiah 44, 6 says that he is the king of Israel. And in 1 Timothy 6, 15, God the Father is called the king of kings. Oh, acknowledging his kingdom. But then Jesus even goes on to say, not only are we praying for his kingdom to come, we're praying for his will to be done. 
his will, not my will. Because again, if I start off prayer with a me focus versus a God focus, I'm going to get in there talking about my will and what I want. But when I start with a God focus, he's able to adjust my will to his will. When my will wants this and he doesn't want that for me, he's able to help adjust me and speak to me and say, Chris, that's not what's going on here. Because if you're praying that my will would be done on earth, that means you've got to submit your will to my will. And remember, my ways are higher than your ways. Sometimes prayer is a tug of war, but it's really not a tug of war because God always wins. Uh, Sooner or later, I got to learn to submit to his will because sometimes he says stuff I don't like. But it's his will. How do I know his will? When I get into his word. So even in this first portion of this prayer, where we're God-focused, I can't know about his name unless I'm in the word. I can't know about the many names he has unless I'm in the word. I can't know about his kingdom unless I'm in the word. I can't know about his will unless I'm in the word. Because when I start reading the word of God, the word of God is his will. The word of God teaches me how to pray. So when I pray according to the word of God, I'm praying according to the will of God. So when I'm asking God for his will to be done, it's just lining up with his will that's in his word. And then I'll get what I ask. But when I'm asking stuff, that's my will. He's just going to wait because he ain't going to change his word to make me feel better. Somebody called Jonah up here. Jonah got an assignment. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, I'm not. God said, okay, well, I'm going to order up a whalogram for you because you will get to where I want you to go. Just come the first time. We're going to get you there. Oh, my. Oh, he, thank God he remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. We're like sheep that go astray. But Jesus said, when you start praying, this is how you pray for, focus on the Lord. Talk to him. Oh, my God. His name, his residence, his kingdom, his will. But I miss one. And that's his nature. Because Jesus said, when you talk to this God, remember that he's holy. Hallowed be your name. So, so, so stop and pause and be reverent towards him. Yes, he's daddy. Yes, he gives us the ability to be casual with him. But let's not forget that he's God. Let's not forget that he is holy. Hallowed means holy and set apart. Distinct, unique, none like him. He is transcendent, which means he is outside of anything we could ever comprehend. So when we talk to him, remember who you're talking to. Because the same father who's a good father, as I mentioned, can turn us over on the same lap of grace and execute discipline upon us. So we don't want to just, we want to have a healthy reverence for him. And I'm afraid today that in contemporary Christendom, we came out of legalism so hard. We've overemphasized grace to the point where this grace has made us sloppy and we don't really respect who we're singing to or who we're talking about. So we got to go back now because remember, new covenant, this holy God put some people to death. So I don't want to just approach him any old way. So when it's time to worship here at Strong Talk, which by the way, we start with worship first. To look to him first. We don't come in here first talking about what we need and here's a word for me. No, no, no. The worship. Let me get my heart centered on him because during the week I'm so me focused. 
I don't always get alone to pray. I don't always get alone to worship. But when I come into his house, a house of prayer, we're going to worship him. We're going to forget. Oh, I know I was fighting in the parking lot. You know, and then we try to get up here and see the deacons and start smiling. Let me get in here and adjust myself to him. In the midst of that, and we take communion, I'm thanking him, Lord, that you've forgiven me of my sins. But Lord, this is first about you. It's not about any personal personality. It's about you. And Jesus says, when you begin prayer, acknowledge God. Before you jump in, acknowledge God. And for some of us, we're weak in that game. We don't know a lot about him, which means now we got to start getting into the word. So that when our worship leader is using terminology and coming from scripture, I'm like, wow, I need to get like that too. I know he's my father, but he is also the beloved. He's also the almighty. He's God. He's everything. And next week, if you make it back, we'll talk about the second part of this prayer, how to acknowledge what we need. Because needs are there to let you know that you're not God and you need God. But I need the God that I just got finished hallowing. I'm not taking his name in vain. I'm acknowledging he lives in heaven. He made the heavens. He's the father. He loves me. Oh, my. So now when I talk about my needs, they're in the proper context. And here's another thing we'll see next week for Christians. The greatest indicator of pride in your life and in my life is a lack of prayer. When we think, we can do it on our own. I can make this phone call. I can fix that. I can go to a counselor and get that done. I can do this. When we don't pray and ask God to meet our needs, it comes right back to the first commandment, the first part of the great commandment. Where are we with loving God? Man, how's my prayer life with God? Let me address him, not to impress you, but I want to acknowledge his glory. His power, his omnipotence, his beauty. Oh, man. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach me to pray. And it don't take a lot of words when your heart is broken and sincere. Teach us to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Simple, yet so profound. You are so deep that you would give attention to each one of us. My, my, my. Thank you, Lord. Help us to just chew on this for a little while. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We submit to you right now. Somebody got some bad news this week. Things didn't go according to their plans or their will. But Lord, we see that you have a plan. Your will will be done. Help those who thought they would get the promotion, thought they would get the job, Be with them. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Reverend Bell, my brother-in-law.